O Lord, as we come before you, we recognize how often our hearts are callous and unfeeling, particularly towards yourself. O Lord, we ask that you would soften our hearts even now as we look at your word together. We pray that you would give us a delight in your word by your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we're starting a new series in the book of Samuel. We're taking a break from John's Gospel. And this is a book that is very interesting in terms of the narrative. It is fascinating. I enjoyed it as a child. I enjoyed particularly studying it at Bible college in greater depth. And I think it is a book that is particularly helpful for us in understanding the role of kingship in God's people, amongst in God's kingdom. I think the book of Samuel and 2 Samuel, uh, they go together, that they are particularly helpful in establishing that the true king of Israel is Jesus as we see the foundation laid here back in 1 Samuel where the kingship is said to be of David's family. We see the rise of kingship coming up in 1 Samuel. Uh, Samuel comes at a time where the people of Israel have conquered the land of Israel and are residing there. They came out under the leadership of Moses. They came out in the Exodus uh, from uh, Pharaoh's hand. Pharaoh was oppressing them in Egypt. Then Moses did all these mighty signs and wonders. The ten plagues came through and the Israelites were led by Moses out to the promised land, not into the promised land. They wandered 40 years in the desert. But then Joshua, in the book of Joshua, which is this book that is two back from one Samuel, he led them into the promised land, conquered the promised land. And then the book of Judges comes immediately, immediately before Samuel. And that is a time where you've got these different leaders, not kings, but leaders over Israel. These judges again and again that are raised up by the Lord to look after God's people. But 1 Samuel comes at a time where the people are looking for a king. And we're going to see that as we look at 1 Samuel together. The rise of kingship in Israel. God, of course, is their king. He is the one who reigns over them. But they look for another king to come and lead them. And so if you turn with me back to the end of Judges, which is actually two books back. Sorry, Joshua is three books back. We've got Ruth in between. Uh, Judges chapter 21, verse 25. We see in Judges again and again that the people uh, abandon the Lord, that they do not worship him as they should. And we see at the end of verse 20, uh, verse, uh, we see in verse 25, at the end of chapter 21 of Judges, that this phrase that has come back a few times in Judges is there at the end of it. It says in verse 25, in those days Israel had no king, everyone did as he saw fit. And this is setting the scene for Samuel, where we will see a king rise up who leads people to do what is fitting in God's eyes. If you read the book of Judges, you see that everyone did indeed do as they saw fit, and what they saw was fit was not what God saw as fit. And so they, and so God gives them a king. Firstly, he gives them the king Saul, as we will see, and then he gives them the kingship of David and David's family. And from David, eventually, you receive the Lord Jesus. So I think 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel are really a defense of the kingship of David and his family, that that is the royal family, and therefore, Jesus is the rightful king over God's people as a descendant of David. But how does David's kingship come about? 
Well, that's where we open up 1 Samuel chapter 1, where we have this interesting account of Hannah and the son that she desires, who will be Samuel, and Samuel will be the one who anoints as God's prophet. David, in due course, anoints David as rightful king of Israel. So David is established as the king of Israel by Samuel as God's prophet. But we need to have the context of Samuel and see that he is indeed God's prophet. And we see from a young age he is dedicated to the Lord, that he has a godly mother who uh, asks for him and receives him and then dedicates him to the Lord. And so this morning I want to look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, and there's a number of things that we could be looking at. Uh, Lots of very interesting questions can arise from this chapter. Uh, Questions about infertility, uh, questions about polygamy. Uh, Was it right for Elkanah to have two wives? Uh, Making vows to the Lord. Uh, Should we be making vows to the Lord in the way that Hannah does? And dedicating children to the Lord. Should you be dedicating your child to the Lord in some way? And uh, and particularly, should you be cutting the child's hair? Uh, Should you not have a razor or scissors used upon the child's hair? There's lots of interesting questions that come out of this passage. But what I want to look at primarily today as we look at this passage together is I want to look at Hannah's prayer. I want to look at this woman, Hannah, and I want to look at her prayer, which is given to us in verse 11. In verse 11, uh, but I'll read from verse 10, we see in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. I want to look at this prayer of Hannah's this morning and look at the circumstances by which this prayer came about. Why does Hannah pray? What has led her to pray this prayer in verse 10? Well, it's her great distress. She is someone that is in great distress. She is in bitterness of heart. We see that in verse 10. It's in bitterness of soul that she's one who's weeping and then she is led to pray to the Lord. She's deeply troubled. She says that in verse 15, the reason why she's praying is that she was deeply troubled and she has been pouring out her soul to the Lord. She is in great anguish and grief, it says in verse 16. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. She is in bitterness of soul. She's in distress. She's in anguish and she's grieving. And that is the circumstance by which she is led to pray to God. But why is she in such distress? Is she just a depressive person, or has she got reasons behind her distress? Well, we see as we read that passage together that she's got two real reasons why she's so distressed. One is the fact that she would love to have kids, and she can't. The Lord has closed her womb, the passage says. And not only that, she has a husband... But her husband also has another wife, and that wife has been able to have children, both boys and girls, we see in the text. And not only that, that other wife, Peninnah, is unsympathetic to Hannah in her distress of not being able to have children, and in fact irritates, provokes Hannah so that she is even more distressed. She is being taunted by her rival. So what does Hannah pray as she's so distressed about what is going on in her life, her childlessness and, of course, the, uh, the insults, the attacks of this rival wife? What does she pray? 
Well, firstly, we see in verse 10 that she prays that the Lord would remember her and not forget her. Oh, sorry, verse 11. Verse 11, And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant. She wants the Lord to remember her. That's not saying there that the Lord uh, somehow forgets what's going on in this world. God is omniscient. He is sustaining Hannah. He's sustaining Peninnah, Elkanah, all the children of Peninnah. Everything that is going on is all sustained by the Lord. Of course, he, he hasn't forgotten Hannah. But what she's asking for is that the Lord would remember her with tenderness and care. The idea of remember there, can the word can be used in the context of being cared for. In Psalm 8, uh, the psalmist says, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? And the word mindful there in Psalm 8 is the same word that's used here, the same Hebrew word. That God is mindful of his servant is what she wants him to be. She wants God to care for her with tenderness, and hear her prayer and respond. And it's interesting what else she includes in her prayer. She includes a sense of humility throughout her prayer. Did you catch it as she's praying? She says, O Lord Almighty, if you only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son. She says, servant, servant, servant. It's a word that's used as um, old translations, a handmaid, uh, someone that is a, a maidservant. She refers to herself as a servant. It's actually three times in the text. It's there twice in the NIV, but in the Hebrew there's an extra one where it says, but give her a son in the Hebrew. That her there is another instance of the same word, servant. There's a real humility that comes through her prayer as she approaches God. And then what else do we see her praying for? Well, she has a specific request. She wants a son. She wants God to give her a son. And there's also a vow that's in this prayer. And that is the vow that she will give that son that the Lord gives her, she will give that son over to the Lord, that he will be someone who serves the Lord, particularly at the Lord's place of worship. Now, why would I want to examine Hannah's prayer so closely this morning? Why would I want to look at the context of it? Why would I want to look at the components of that prayer? Why would it be helpful for us to study this morning? Wouldn't we be far better uh, having a sermon on the dangers of polygamy? Why would it be so important that I think that here this morning, one of the most helpful things we can have from this text is not a sermon on the dangers of polygamy, but on the prayer of Hannah? Well, I think if we examine Hannah's prayer this morning, it can be a helpful illustration of what we should do when we are depressed, when we are distressed, when we are in mourning, when we are grieving, when we are down and sad. We too should come like Hannah and pray, and pray similar things that Hannah prays as well. We see again and again in the Old Testament that these people are given to us For there's an overarching plan of salvation that comes through the Bible, which leads us to Jesus Christ. And I mentioned that before, that Samuel's going to be an important figure in establishing the kingship of Jesus, the root of Jesus' kingship back in King David. But we also see that these people that we examine and that we, we, we love, we look at Hannah, and it's not hard to love this woman and to feel sympathy for her in her situation. They're given to us as examples for us to follow as fellow brothers and sisters of Hannah, many years removed. And that's what the New Testament tells us. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul talks about the fact that these people are examples for us. And so I think we can learn from Hannah's example here as to what we should do when we're distressed 
and how we should pray to the Lord. Because we too can pray similar things that Hannah prayed. We too should be asking the Lord to remember us in our misery. When we are sad and we are down and we are depressed, we should be saying, Lord, do not forget me. Be mindful of me in my distress. We should also be coming to God and showing humility, reminding ourselves that we are his servants. As we come to him in prayer, we should say, your servant, your servant, I am your servant and I would like your help. And be specific in our prayer as to what we want help with. Hannah is very specific. She says that she wants a son, and we can do that too. We should not just have vague, general prayers, please bless me, Lord. That's a good one to pray, but we can be specific about the things that we're concerned about, the things that we would desire the Lord to give us. But why would we do that? Why would we pray a prayer like Hannah's? Why would we even possibly make a vow like Hannah makes? I mean, it's very dangerous making vows like this. Vows have to be entered into uh, very seriously, and you have to be capable of doing them. I'm impressed at Hannah being able to go through with this later on. This child that she desperately wants, she actually gives it back to the Lord. Uh, We have to be very careful in making vows, so we shouldn't make them hastily. But why would we come to God in prayer in our distress and pray the kinds of things that Hannah prays? Well... There are many benefits of prayer, but one of the great things that we can see in Hannah is the comfort that prayer brings. The comfort that prayer brings. What is the result of Hannah's prayer? We have to flip, um, jump over to verse 18. We've looked at the prayer in verse 11, but look with me now in verse 18. Eli has confronted her. Uh, she has responded and pointed out that she's not drunk, uh, that she has been praying. And then in verse 18 we read, She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. That's to Eli the priest. And then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. She's come to the Lord in prayer. She's come in great distress. She can't even eat. Her husband thinks that if he gives her enough food, uh, she'll be happy. But it hasn't been helpful at all because she doesn't want even a small portion of food. And she has been very upset. But here, after she has prayed... She is no longer downcast and able to actually eat. She's no longer uh, have a loss of appetite. Instead, she has an appetite. She's handed the matter over to God. And And at this stage, she doesn't know whether the Lord is going to answer her prayer or not and give her a son, but she knows that she has a God. And she has been able to hand this matter over to God. And in doing so, she feels immediate relief and comfort. And this is something that we can do too. Whenever you're distressed, whenever you're upset, whenever you're down or depressed, you can come to the Lord in prayer. You can ask him to be mindful of you and what's going on in your life. You can ask him for help with whatever situation it is. And it's interesting, as you do that, when you say amen, or even as you're praying the prayer, it's amazing the release and the comfort that can come to your heart. I've experienced this many times. I'm upset about something, and as I pray to the Lord, as I hand the matter over to God, there's a comfort that comes to my heart. And so I think that we should be following the example of Hannah here and looking for peace in prayer, looking for peace in God that Hannah enjoyed so many years ago. But we also note from Hannah's prayer that there is a long-term peace that comes as well. There's this short-term peace, but there's a long-term peace. And how is that? Well, it's by the fact that she actually gets the son. 
And she asks for this son, and the son is granted to her. And so, of course, she would have had even greater joy in the preceding months and then years after this as a result of this prayer. And this is something for us to learn as well. That if you don't ask, you may not receive. It may be that God wants to give you whatever you're wanting, and he's waiting for you to actually ask. And it's amazing how often... We want something and we just don't ask God for it. And then we're upset and distressed because we do not have that thing that God has given us and that God would give us if we would simply come to him in prayer. And so from Hannah, we can learn a great deal about the importance of prayer and the privilege that prayer is, that privilege of praying to God because it brings comfort to us in our distress. It brings comfort immediately and may even bring long-term comfort as we receive what we ask for in prayer. And this is the wonderful thing about being a Christian, I believe, that we have a Father in heaven who is ready to listen to his servants when they come to him in prayer about whatever they're going through, and he gives comfort to them. To be honest, I don't really understand how non-Christians are able to deal with the world in the way that they are why they're not more greatly distressed, why they're not mourning, why they're not uh, upset and depressed as Hannah was, but even more so because they do not have the privilege of prayer. They do not have this ability that we have as Christians to hand matters over to a God who reigns on high. And when you consider what non-Christians are facing in the wrath of God and the sins that are plaguing their lives, they should be even more distressed than they are, the burden that is upon them because of their transgression against God. And sometimes people show this very clearly in the way that they talk to you about what's going on in their life. They can see, they can show you how much pain and distress their sin is bringing them. I recently, I just, uh, this week I had a friend message me on Facebook. I don't really do Facebook very much, but some people, that's the only way you can communicate with them and, and they, that's the only way they want to communicate with you. And so this, person contacted me on Facebook and said, things haven't been great for me, Joel. I ended up falling into a very dark place. I've damaged relationships, caused chaos, and made stupid decisions. I take full responsibility of my actions, and I just want to see light, which I'm really struggling with through all this, three exclamation marks. Now, this friend is a non-Christian. He admits that he doesn't believe, as he should, as I've encouraged him to do again and again. Here he is, he's saying he's in a dark place, he's committed sins, and he wants to see light. What should you tell someone like this? Well, I wrote back. Oh, and then my friend's name, you know Jesus really is the light of the world. I've said this to him again and again. You know Jesus is really the light of the world. Why don't you trust in him and start to do everything according to his instructions because you have seen that he is the light. Don't scurry around in the darkness. Expose your life to him and love him and seek his glory, not your own. Go to God in prayer. You know you're in pain. You know you want to see light. Go to God. He is the light of the world. Ask for a son, not a physical son, but the son. Jesus Christ, he is the one. Hannah asked for a son, she got Samuel. We can ask for Jesus Christ, God's son. And he is the light that we need. And so this person who's not a believer, 
are encouraged to go to God in prayer, to look to Jesus as the light. And maybe Facebook isn't working properly, but I never heard back from him. And it's so sad. We can come to God in prayer. We can come to him and find immediate comfort and relief as Hannah did and long-term comfort as he grants his son to us. But they don't. And I don't know how they're not even more distressed. You can see the pain that he's in, but it should be even more pain, I feel, the weight of his sin bearing down upon him, encouraging him to go to God in prayer, but he doesn't. So if you're here this morning and you're in distress and you're not a believer, I encourage you now, go to God in prayer. Ask for the Son, God's Son, and I promise you, you will receive comfort. Your face will no longer be downcast. You'll be able to have an appetite for food. You'll be able to even rejoice because God will grant you what you ask him. If you ask genuinely for his son, he always gives his son to you. And that son, the Lord Jesus, cleanses your sins, grants you righteousness, grants you the Holy Spirit, and you can live for his glory with joy. That's non-Christians. What about us as believers? We too can experience this peace that Hannah experienced. And I've said that already today. But the question for us is, if we can experience such peace through prayer, why don't we pray more? Why don't we pray more like Hannah prayed? Hannah is a wonderful example of someone who was in distress and she prayed. And the Lord Jesus is an example of that as well. We've heard that from Hebrews chapter 5 before. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus is another example for us. He prayed to God and he was heard and he was saved. So why don't we pray more? Why don't we look to God as immediately as Hannah does here in her distress? Well, I think it's because we struggle to believe in the God of Scripture. Our prayerlessness can show that we don't believe God is in charge of the world, that he is on high, that he reigns supreme, that he's in control of all things. And that's because we've still got a sinful nature in us that loathes to pray because prayer requires humility. Prayer requires us to humble ourselves, recognize that we're a servant, that God is the one who reigns, and that we need help. And we don't like to do that. Prayer is a loathsome thing for our sinful nature to feel. It doesn't want you to pray. It doesn't want you to believe in God, and then it doesn't want you to go to that God that you claim to believe in that is in control of all things. Our prayerlessness also shows that we don't believe that God is loving, as we might claim to think that he is concerned about us. We think, oh, yes, he's up there. He's got all these other matters to control. He's not interested in about my personal worries, the little things that are bothering me, that other people think aren't a big deal, but are a big deal to me, and so they're not a big deal to God, and he wouldn't lovingly care about what's going on in my life. Or it shows our lack of prayerlessness. It shows that we don't believe God is powerful enough to act. Yes, we may think he's on high. Yes, we may think that he actually does care. But does he want to act in my case? Does he have the power to act and help me with whatever I'm going through? Why don't we pray like Hannah prays? 
because we don't have the faith like Hannah had. Oh, that we had the faith that Hannah has here when we're distressed. Hannah believed that the Lord was almighty and humbled herself before him. It's interesting how she addresses him. I didn't mention it before. Look at verse 11. Oh, Lord almighty. Now, that name for God, this is the first time it appears other than earlier in uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 3. Verse 3 there, the Lord is referred to, uh, that they go up to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. And then Hannah's the first person to actually call God the Lord Almighty in Scripture. And this is an important name. It's uh, The literal Hebrew is Lord of Armies, or the old translation is Lord of Hosts. Lord of hosts, and host means not uh, that he uh, hosts them, but that he has this army, this angelic army. And that's who Hannah believes in. She believes in a God who is powerful, who is in charge, who has heavenly armies at her disposal. And not only that, Hannah believes that the Lord was willing to hear an insignificant woman's prayer. She didn't think she was too small for God to care about her. She, of course, would have known how insignificant she was. She has a husband, yes, but a husband who has another wife. Not a nice, particularly nice life to live when your husband's affections are divided. She also has no child to call her own. She also has a woman, a fellow woman, a sister who's meant to be looking out for her as well, as fellow sisters, provoking her, hurting her, irritating her. And she's got a priest who thinks she's a wicked woman. That's who Hannah is. But she also, she knows all those things, but she believes that the Lord Almighty is willing to hear her prayer. And not only that, she believes that the Lord Almighty would be willing to act and able to act in her life. He is the Lord of hosts, that God would be able to give her a little boy that she could call her own. Oh, how Hannah puts us to shame. We see her faith there in God, and that leads her to prayer. Whereas so often we look at our lives and we see that we do not have that same faith, and then, of course, we do not pray as we should, which is terrible because we know that God is the God that Hannah prayed to. We're not deluded to believe in such a God. Hannah was not deluded. We see that by the fact that God did answer her prayer, that he did give her a son. And we see that God is a powerful, loving, sovereign God by the way that he doesn't just give Samuel, this little boy, he has given us his own son. So why wouldn't he give us everything that we need? That's what Romans 8 tells us. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, How will he not also along with him, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? Hannah wasn't deluded to pray to this God. And we aren't deluded either. He is there. He is the Lord of hosts. He does care. He's shown that by giving us a son. Not Samuel, but Jesus. So why wouldn't we pray to him? Hannah shames us by our frequent lack of prayer, showing that we don't have her faith as we should. How often do we find that our spouse is no help in our problems? We see that with Elkanah. Instead of talking about the kids and everything, he says, you've got me. Of course you should be happy. You've got me. That's just not helpful for poor Hannah. 
How often does that happen? Our spouse is no help in whatever distress we're going through. How often is it that our fellow brothers and sisters just simply irritate us with their behaviour? How often is it that church leaders even think the worst of us? And how often is it that food is no comfort? We see that Hannah is offered food as a comfort. How often is that the case? We've got some problem in our life. We're distressed, we're anguished, we're depressed about it. And we've tried so many things. And we go to other things that aren't even mentioned in this text. And we find no help. And what do we do? We throw up our hands and wallow in our grief. And what should we be doing? We should be going to God in our distress. We should be pouring out our soul to him. We should be turning to the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, the Lord Almighty, to help us in our distress. How often do we deprive ourselves of the comfort that Hannah enjoyed simply because we do not pray? We do not come to God and ask for his help. There's that wonderful hymn by Scriven, uh, which we'll sing shortly. And I think it brings us out so clearly what a friend we have in Jesus. It brings out the comfort that is in prayer. I love this hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. He's there, he's our friend, but we have a privilege to carry our problems to him in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. What peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Why do we bear pain needlessly as Christians? All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Saviour, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee. Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Where do you find a solace? Where do you find a place of comfort as a Christian? It's in prayer. It's in coming to God, the Lord of hosts, and finding comfort as you speak to him in prayer. I love that many of you in this room, you claim to believe in the God of scriptures. You claim to believe that he is sovereign, that he is loving, that he is all-powerful. But do you prove that faith that you claim by your prayer life? Can someone look at your life and see your prayers and go, yes, I can see that that person does believe in the God of Scripture. Look at the way that they pray. Whenever there's a problem, whenever they're distressed, they come to God in prayer. Hannah's faith was proven by her prayer life. Christ's faith was proven by his prayer life. He believed in his Father Almighty. He was not an unbeliever. He was a true believer. And he prayed in, with tears and great distress and cries. Do you prove your faith by your prayer life? Have you ever done what Hannah did? Poured out your soul to the Lord? Particularly at your conversion. Was that the moment where you for the first time knew what it was to have burdens upon you and you poured out your life, your soul 
to God in prayer. And then what did you experience? Comfort, peace, a solace you found there in prayer to God. Let's come to God in prayer now. Let's do what he instructs us to do and pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the Lord Almighty. You are the Lord of hosts. You are the Lord of heavenly armies. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for not believing in you as we should. Oh, Lord, we recognize that our faith is indeed so often small, and we ask that you would increase our faith so that we do pray as we should. Oh, Lord, we pray that whenever we're distressed, even by the smallest of things, we see Hannah praying in great distress, but even when we're distressed about small matters, whatever it is that is disturbing us, oh, Lord, we pray that we would be people of prayer, that we would prove our faith by our deeds, particularly the deed of prayer, and that there, in prayer, we would find comfort, we would find joy, And we would find once more that you give your son to those who pray. And we pray this in his name. Amen.